I wasn't here last week, and so please allow me late, but better late than never, Happy New Year Collective. It is so good to see you. I uh, was sitting over on the side and just like looking at faces, and I was like, man, like two weeks, you know, we, that I had off from preaching, both our week off at the end of the year and then, and then last week, and I was like, man, I missed preaching, but I really, really missed Collective. Like I was back in Missouri seeing my family, like many of you traveling over the past few weeks, and just seeing all of your faces masked as they may be. I am so... Uh, just happy, excited, uh, blessed, uh, you'll hear more about that in a second, um, to, to get to be a part of this community with you and specifically to be one of your pastors. Well, today uh, we are continuing in our second week in a series called Blessed, where as we kick off the year, we've been looking at this kind of big question, this religious, you know, sounding word, spiritually sounding word, blessed. What is blessing? What does it mean to live a blessed life or as we're going into 2022, a, a blessed year? And we've been doing that by looking at Numbers chapter 6, which if you've been a part of Collective, we end every single gathering, or or better said, we begin every single week with this reading from Numbers chapter 6. You'll see it behind me. Let's, Let's read it right here. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is in many ways, you know, blessing all brought down into a couple of words. Some commentators refer to the priestly blessing as the Lord's prayer of the Old Testament. It is this little compact thing that if you get lost in, you can get lost in just looking at each and every little word and phrase and how they play together. In fact, you'll see behind me each of these little yellow highlights on the next slide is uh, last week, Pastor Isaac looked at uh, what does it mean the Lord bless you, kind of kicking this off. And then following are what you'll hear me refer to as the pillars or elements of blessing. And so uh, today we're gonna look at what does it mean for God to keep you and me? Next week, we're gonna be looking at what does it mean for God's face to shine upon you, to be gracious to you will be Pastor Gary Brashears. He's gonna be with us, not just that night, but he'll be preaching on that, that line. What does it mean for the Lord to lift up his countenance upon you? When was the last time you used the word countenance? Never. So what does that mean? And then finally, give you peace. Uh, Pastor Isaac is going to be back. So he began and ended the series. So he's our super, unless you still want to. I'll give, you don't have to answer right now in front of everybody. You actually jumped in for one. So we're going to be looking at each of these lines and kind of, okay, what does this mean as we ask, what is the blessed life? And today is the second one. What does it mean for the Lord to keep you? For the Lord, as it can be translated, to guard you. In fact, just like Pastor Isaac stepped in and preached last week for me, uh, my friend Char Broderson, he's a pastor down in Costa Mesa, was supposed to be here right now doing this. But you guys get stuck with me. Uh, Sorry about that. But all the same, what does it mean for the Lord to keep you, for the Lord to guard you? This is a question that gets detailed and unpacked throughout all of the story of the scriptures. One of my favorite places being Psalm 121, which many of you read as a part of our integrated Bible study program here at Collective this week. Psalm 121 is a meditation on the blessing of God's keeping. And so what we're going to do today is uh, we're going to jump from number six into to Psalm 121. We're going to swim around in this song today. So if, you, if you're able, would you join me in standing as we read from Psalm 121? And we do this as a way of identifying with our bodies. We're reading something that is uh, more than special. We believe this is God's scriptures, that he speaks to us as we reflect on these together in community. And so with that being said, let's read Psalm 121 together. I'll pray for us, and we'll begin to kind of dive into the song. Psalm 121. 
a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your church. Uh, thank you that we can gather uh, as your church around your word today. And we pray that your spirit would meet us and speak as we do this. Uh, that the spirit, God, that you would just remind us that you are the God who keeps us. And as we move into the uncertainty of 2022, that that would be the resounding anthem that we sing. Our Lord is our keeper. Be with us today. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. Well, if you were a faithful Israelite, you know, a couple, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago, three times a year, you and your family would make the trek to the temple in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you would do this three times a year in spring, summer, and autumn. Spring, going back to Pastor Isaac's teaching, you would go, you and your family load up and head to the temple for Passover, for Yom Kippur, for the Day of Atonement. Right, if you were here last week, you remember that actually at Yom Kippur, the, at the Day of Atonement, the priest would come out and what would he pray over the people? The, the priestly blessing, what we just talked about. Three times a year, you would make the trick, the trek, the trip to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the place of God's presence to receive this blessing. And just like you have your favorite playlist for all of your travels, so too the Israelites had a playlist for their trip, their trek, their family journey to Jerusalem. It's called the Songs of Ascent. It is these 15 psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. It's, it's a playlist for the road that they would sing as they made their way to the temple place to be in the presence, gathered together. You know, it's like Disney World and church camp and family reunions all rolled into one. And as they made the trip, not only would they would be singing this playlist of these 15 songs, this 15 songs served as the itinerary for their trip, like Google Maps or, or Apple Maps or, you know, Waze or whoever you use, you know, step-by-step -step instructions. And so if you read through the Song of Ascent, Psalm 120 begins with you in the wilderness in the tents of Meshach and Kedar. And Psalm 134 ends with you in the temple, in the presence of God, being blessed by a priest, right? Do you see? It's like the itinerary, right? You put in your destination. I want to be, you know, starting, you know, departing from tents of, you know, Meshach and Kedar out in the wilderness, arrival in. You know, I want to arrive in the temple being blessed. And then it fills in all of the gaps. And that's literally what happens as you go through the songs of ascent. And what's so interesting is this playlist and this itinerary for this trip became, within the Jewish imagination, uh, analogous of the... Um, the journey of life itself, an analogy for the life that you and I live, that all of life is a journey from the wilderness to the presence of God, the blessing being with him, that this is what life is all about. And Psalm 121, what we just read, is all about the dangerous nature of that journey, the uncertain perils of that journey. And Psalm 121 is about how God's blessing is not just a reward that you receive at the end of the journey. It is actually God's gift, his presence with you amid that journey, through its uncertainties and perils. 
And as we set off into the whatever 2020 is going to be, 2022, that was scary. I just said, God, we went back in time for a second. Not that again. As we go into 2022, it, this is as timely as ever. There are so many uncertainties. We all got out of 2020, and we believed 2021 was going to be the turning point. And in many ways, for some of us, it was worse than 2020. And now we go into 2022 going, well, hopefully that was the end of the, you know, the plummeting descent of madness. And we really don't know. We can be hopeful. And so amid all of those uncertainties and perils, I think Psalm 121 is as timely as ever. And what does Psalm 121 then tell us about God keeping us for the danger, the journey of the road? You'll see behind me a little bit of our, our own itinerary for the itinerary, our own little map of where we're going to go today. In Psalm 121, verse 1, we're going to look at the search for help because that's what the song's about. In verse 2, we're going to be looking at the source for help. 3 through 4, how our help comes in the form of our sleepless keeper. 5 and 6, our steadfast keeper. 7 and 8, our sovereign keeper. So we're going to go through and just look a couple verses, one or two at a time, and ask some questions. What does it mean for the Lord to be our help, to be our keeper? Psalm 121, verse 1 opens with the opening question. What is it? From where does my help come from? This is the question of not asking where is my executive assistant or asking where is, hey Siri, right? Oh, sorry, everybody's phones just go off. This is asking less of a question of where is the, the person who makes my life a little bit better. Help utilized and used in the Hebrew scriptures is far more about military battle. If you're a Lord of the Rings geek like some of you are, this is Gandalf coming down off the hill, you know, in the battle of what it, Minas Tirith. This is Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon coming in. And, you know, you know you're all clear, kid. Let's blow this thing and go home, right? It is um, in, in Spider-Man, No Way Home. It's went, well, no spoilers. It's, it's Bill Murray in the original Space Jam when he comes out on the floor and the whole movie shifts and becomes something better. It is about military. This is more than just where is... The person who makes my life a little bit more comfortable. It's where's the thing? Where's the person? Where's the source of what will make the journey possible? What will protect and be my refuge through it all? The deep need of your life as you look forward into this coming year and just your life in general. For some of us, the week ahead, where is the help coming from that's going to make this even possible? It's the opening question. The opening location in verse 1 is where? In uh, lifting up my eyes to the hills. Now, the hills, as the Israelites would make their journey, remember, on the road trip to Jerusalem, as they made this journey, they would pass by a multitude of hills out in the rocky regions of the wilderness. And up on top of these hills were the places of popular pagan worship throughout the day. This is awesome archaeology stuff. You want to geek out with me? Come talk to me about it later. But you find all of these shrines all in and around Israel and Jerusalem, where on the top of these little hills, there were these shrines to, you know, fill in the blank with the pagan god that you want. And on these hilltop shrines, people could come, and whether for the journey to Jerusalem or for life itself, they could come and purchase uh, everything from prayers and potions and protections and spells, incantations, all the way to prostitutes, which is a form of you worshiping through male or female prostitutes, that that was kind of how you worship the deity. Some of you are like, man, that's a very interesting religion. Hey, that's just how it was. But all the same, what would happen is you would go and say, okay, I, I want protection from this, or I want some kind of a spell to help make sure I don't roll my ankle or protect me from the, the moon god or to keep me safe from marauders and bandits. And certain deities you go and you'd sacrifice and then you would get you know, some potion, some incantation, some necklace, some holy underwear that would help you keep you from all of this. Uh, to help our imagination, it's an ancient pagan 7-Eleven. 
Along the journey, you pull over and you go in. Okay, I need this, I need that, and we're ready to go on the way. The hills were places of help offered by the gods of the ancient world. Marduk, Baal, Asherah, Moloch, Dagon, fill in the blank. Now, it is quite easy for you and me to shake our heads. <laughs> those poor ancient people climbing up those silly hills to sacrifice to silly gods, thinking that that would somehow change and impact and help them for the journey of life. David Foster Wallace, who the LA Times called one of the most influential and innovative writers of the last 20 years before his uh, passing away a little over a decade ago, uh, by no means would identify as a Christian. In his commencement speech, This is Water, he would tell us, not so fast. You see behind me, he says, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what we worship. And the insidious thing about all these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. There is something within the human psyche that these are our default settings. I think I've quoted from this a couple of times over the years that we've been here. Like this, this encapsulates so much of, of our modern moment. As we think that in our secular age, post-enlightenment, that we've moved past all that silly religion, David Foster Wallace, among others, would say, no, 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 no. The human psyche must find help, protection, and refuge in something, worshiping and dedication to something. And so it's not so much that, that we've moved on past worship, it's just simply that we have uh, replaced, as David Foster Wallace would say, or rebranded, as I would argue, the gods of the hills to appeal to our more modern sensibilities. That's some silly and serious ways that this plays out. If you are on the journey of life and the fear that you have is maybe not rolling your ankle or marauders, but the boredom of the journey, the boredom of a life lived, then there is a hill that you can climb, a shrine that you can go to of the almighty deity of Hulu. And here at Hulu, for the low, low price of, of binge watching night after night or fill in the blank with whatever your deity of choice is, it's Disney Plus in our house, is you, you come to this shrine and offer your time, offer your attention, and what ends up happening is you provide yourself with a, a little bit of an ability to stave off the boredom of the journey for the low, low price of, you know, all of your evenings and nights and your sleep. Or even more than that, again, playing this out silly, but, but moving in a direction of more serious, is you have, uh, maybe you're looking for meaning, some cosmic conflict that you want to get enraptured in, some us versus them, and you can find that in all sorts of ways, but one of them most comes in you ascending the hill and, and taking on the colors and the totems and the insignias and the logos of the Almighty Dodger. And here with the Almighty Dodger on you, you cheer on, not through prostitutes or some kind of potion or incantation, watching these almost demigod figures as they battle it out, you know, swinging their bats and, you know, cracking home runs. And the whole point being that at the end of the game, you can say, we won. You ate nachos. But there is that, that, that it feeds something within it. We won. Or maybe the fact that you and I all carry around, as it were, a tiny little hilltop shrine in our back pocket, where here we can come and not make a sacrifice to Dagon or Asherah, but you know, your grandma, your ex-boyfriend, or your roommates or coworkers. And the sacrifice of this is just our time, our attention, our presence, literally in the form of pictures of, of you know, our, our kids, literally sacrificing our kids as these little offerings up to grandma to get the almighty like. And even more in the direction of that, because most, what they've noticed in, in trends with social media is that we're becoming far less, the most content now within social media actually belongs to the minority. 
that most of what social media is is now no longer social engagement, but entertainment from some coming on down from the top. So it's not even social anymore. It's entertainment, which goes back to Almighty God Hulu. They're just teaming up now. But the whole point is that if we get within this social media thing, and, and here's the play out, is if you get involved and you come to the top of this, this hilltop shrine and you worship well enough here is that you can actually become a priest or priestess yourself. This is what we call an influencer, where you help others learn how to worship at the hilltop shrine of social media to keep you from the loneliness. Now, here's the thing. This plays out in all sorts of ways. If you are worried about unhealth on the journey, then, then man, you, there's the cult of CrossFit. There is the soul cycle. There is the diet of the month that you can give yourself to. There's all sorts of things. If it is your career that you want a life of, of, of maybe purpose and meaning and the way that you found that is the hilltop shrine of your career, man, you watch as you will go and sacrifice your time and your sanity. And, and even for some of you, you've grown up under parents like this. You can sacrifice your own children on the altar of career. Because that's where you believe the help, the provision, the goal, the purpose of the trip comes. If you have some kind of unresolved guilt, you, know, you can find your religion of choice. If it's challenging with parenting, you can, you know, baby-wise, you can do the sleep-it-out method. Like, these are all come, and we'll, we'll help you with this. If you are lonely, you can offer your body up on the almighty offer of, of hooking up, of tent, like you feel. And we are all looking for help and care and provision and refuge for the journey. And we, the, the 10,000 advertisements that we see every single day are these billboards atop the hills inviting us to find help for the journey if you sacrifice the right amount of the right thing, whether that's your time, your money, your relationships, your body, you fill in the blank. I mean, I was going through my news app today, this morning, just looking over, and you know, there's news after news of everything that's going on within the world, and then right there in the middle of it, it's like, do you have cracked hands? Try this new like technique. And I'm like, this is the problem here is what's happening is, is I'm being fed with not just news, but advertisements. And now those two things are, are one and the same together within our aging culture. That a news app becomes something to sell, right? You see, maybe this is more cultural studies than sermon, but I think all the sub says. One final little connection here on the search for help is Andrew Sullivan, a few years ago in New York Magazine, wrote an op-ed piece called America's New Religions. And in it, he opens with the quote, everyone is religious. He sounds like David Foster Wallace. But he goes on to detail, not how we look to sports or entertainment or, or whatever. He says that, man, we are, we, are, we are missing the point if we think that a decline in religion and Christianity in the West has mean that there's been a decline in religion and our religious impulses. Andrew Sullivan identifies that what's happening in our culture right now is that all of the religious impulses of us as humans are not going away. They're being rewired into politics. And this is why you have a religious-like fervor on the right and the left taking religious-like avenues of control and manipulation, even violence and overall. Why? Because we're wired within a belief that partisan, our group, is the one that's going to provide the help for the journey. It's a hilltop shrine that we march on to. See, and so hear me, on all of these things, you're like, well, Ryan wants me to delete you know, Hulu and never watch a Dodger game again. It is not that many of these things are not good things. The danger that we must be aware of is when they get hijacked into hills to offer what they cannot provide. This is precisely the biblical language of what idolatry is, is coming to a created thing and believing that it will offer more than it can. And the reality is, is that after climbing these hills long enough, we come to realize the delusion of them. As Eugene Peterson puts it, it's behind me, he says, a look to the hills for help eventually and always ends in disappointment. 
for all the promises of safety against the perils of the road, for all the allurements of their priests and priestesses, they are all finally lies. As the prophet Jeremiah put it, truly the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains, him referring to the the worship forms in the ancient world. And so Psalm 121 opens with the question, where does your help come from? Now it might not be Dagon or Baal, but what products, what places, what people, what politics, what pursuits, as you look over maybe the past year, what are those things that I'm most prone to run after? And how are they doing for me? Where do I look for help for the journey? The belief that if I give enough of myself to this, that I will finally have the protection and refuge for the journey that I'm looking for. You see, for the Israelite people, as they walk the valley of would-be help on the hills on all sides, their road trip playlist moves us into verse two, where the song moves to the true source of help for the journey. What does it say in verse two? My help doesn't come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord, the one who made heaven and earth. Yahweh, the God, the creator of all things. That is where my help comes from. As they are making their way to Jerusalem, the song calls for for the singers, for the audience, those singing along and making their way to Jerusalem to literally and spiritually, physically and spiritually, lift their eyes past the hills onto the horizon, their destination, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, the temple, to go, my help doesn't come from all these little hills. My help comes from the up ahead. And what that temple signifies, the God who is the creator of earth, the creator of the heavens, the one who's been faithful to Israel, that's my God, that's my help. There on the temple, that's where I go. Not to these side hills, but to him. This temple is the sign and symbol of of God with us, God with his people, that as creator of heaven and earth, he's not playing the game like Baal and Asherah. He is actually able to provide the help that we desperately need. And so the song calls for you and I to shift our eyes from the hills to the hill, from the gods to God, from the delusion to the true source of help. Now, how do we apply this in Los Angeles? I mean, flights are really expensive right now. But we were able to wiggle out with Lorenzo. And so right after this, we're all going to LAX and we're flying to Jerusalem. We can't do that. (laughs) The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So here we are. Not only are we geographically removed, it doesn't exist anymore. So is this psalm? We do not, okay, like nice for when you guys had that, but where are we to lift our eyes? 2,000 years ago, Jesus offered the solution and source for our search for help. John chapter two, he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days? And then John whispers, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Two things Jesus says here as it pertains to Psalm 121. One, In saying destroy this temple, this is the radical declaration on Jesus' part. His conviction that the temple, Israel's worship at the time of his life, had been corrupted, had become one of the little hills. Another place of delusional desire, corrupted by the people's nationalism and ethnocentrism, their legalism and and self-help religion, which is false help. And so Jesus is looking at the temple and he's going, man, this whole thing, you guys had it all set up. Yes, this was the place where God dwelt and you guys... You lost it. And so there is a deep need for a new temple, a a renewed declaration of God's providence, a new sign and symbol of help for our eyes and for our hearts. And John whispers to us, this greater temple, not bound to the Palestinian countryside, but global and universal in its reach and power is his body. 
that Jesus' body is the new temple. This destroyed in his death on the cross, raised up above all of creation in his resurrection and ascension. John is saying, is the fulfillment of Psalm 121, Jesus is the temple place of God's presence that has now become a temple person, God with us. And so when Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes and I say, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. I no longer look on the horizon of the temple. I look at the person of Jesus. And I say, that's, that's where my help comes from. And what's so profound is that this is so much greater than all the gods of the hills. You see, all the gods of the hills would call for you to sacrifice the right amount of the right thing for them to give you their help. And what we have here in Jesus' talking is that, in fact, when you come to him, it's not you sacrificing to the gods to get something for their help. It is God sacrificing himself for you to give you that help. See, in Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who truly is able to provide us that help did not call for us to sacrifice, which, which genuinely could do. Say, hey, you want my help? All right, cool. Here's what you gotta do. And the profound reality is that in Christ, Jesus, God sacrifices himself for our help. Who, yes, we may now worship through offering our lives as a living sacrifice, but as a response to and not the earning of that help. See, Jesus is the source of our help, and he's the new temple that we set our eyes onto. And now the rest of this song is going to unpack the three ways that God is our help. Three reasons why he's better than the gods of the hills, and they all revolve around these six times where it talks about God being our keeper. Which here, you're like, what about the priestly blessing, Ryan? We're 20 minutes in, right here. This is where it all comes to a head. That when we're talking about what does it mean for God to be our help, the psalmist goes back to the priestly blessing, and he goes, it means that he's our keeper that he keeps us. In verses three through four, he moves the psalmist to talk about how the Lord is our sleepless keeper. He does not sleep or grow weary. Unlike the gods of the hills who were understood to believe to grow tired and fall asleep, God is sleepless. I love one of my favorite stories in the Bible, 1 Kings 18. The uh, prophet Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal because he's a no-show to their sacrifice. You'll see it behind me. It says, at noon... Elijah begins to mock them, the prophets of Baal, saying, cry aloud for Baal. He, he is a God. Either he's musing, you know, he's lost in thought, or he is relieving himself. He's in the little deity's room. It's literally what the word is. He's, he's using the restroom. Or he's on a journey. You know what? He's probably stuck in traffic. You know, the heavenly highway. I heard it was backed up. You guys might just need to wait for a bit. Or perhaps he's asleep. There it is. And he, he, you need to wake him up. Elijah, like the best comedians of our day, critiques his culture, specifically the worship of these gods who got lost in thought. Gods who needed to go to the bathroom, had to go take a smoke break, who got stuck in traffic, who fell asleep. The promise of the psalmist is for God to be our help, for God to be, is that he's our sleepless keeper. And if we're honest, though, it is, this is not the way that we are most prone to think about God. That along the challenges and perils of our journey, we, we might believe, okay, maybe, yes, God is real. And, and maybe, yes, he did help in Bible times. And maybe, yes, he did help me back then. But now he's, he, is, he is entirely, maybe not asleep, but preoccupied. He's got nations to deal with, black holes to tame. He's got pandemics that he's trying to sort through. He's got, quite simply, bigger fish to fry. Or worse, we believe that God is just asleep at the wheel. The first reminder in verses three through four of Psalm 121 is that the Lord, your God, is not like the gods of the hills. He is awake. 
He is watchful, he is protecting, he is guarding, he's caring for you. The psalm tells us that God is, you know, to use this language, he's not a bookkeeper looking over and, you know, making sure everything is all together for his books. He's not a beekeeper, he's not going in and doing, he's not a housekeeper or an innkeeper, the Lord is a you keeper. He's a me keeper, he's a, he's a we keeper. His, his job, when he, he, I was gonna say he wakes up, when God exists, his very essence and existence is one of keeping for his people. And what this means for the journey of our lives is that as we move into 2022, we can move into all of its perils and uncertainties with confidence in our we keeper, that God will not let our foot be moved, as the psalmist says. This is language of stability and groundedness. I don't know about you, but this whole past year felt like me wobbling all through the past year. The image of me having my, sh- my foot being sure stability and groundedness that in the midst of life's chaos and trials and dangers to have confidence that the Lord is keeping me, man, do I want that. And the psalmist says, That's, it's precisely what you have. Practically, as we move into this year, what this means is that you and I, we can rest, we can, we can rest under his watchful keeping. As Gary Brashears, who will be here in two weeks, my, my Yoda puts it. He says, the Lord works the night shift so we can sleep through the night. There's some of us that, that stress and the anxiety and the panic and the, the what is going through, and this isn't to mean that me just saying, hey, God's got you means that this is settled and now you can go to bed at night. But rather that in hearing this, that the work is to spirit with your presence, how do I bring the truth that you are watching me in the deepest parts of me? And to allow that truth to become integral to who I am, that even in the midst of my anxiety and my fear and my challenges, that, that I can rest knowing that you have me. But even more than this, this also means that you and I, as we move into the coming year, we can actually move with love and truth and compassion and grace with all the fruit of the Spirit into the chaos of this world. Trusting that God has got us. And so my, the mission that I'm called to, my purpose is my will, the, the, my, my vocation or my family or whatever I'm going through right now that's causing me to freak out. I can move into those situations trusting, oh, the, the Lord is my sleepless keeper. He's not asleep in the midst of this. He is with me in the midst of all of it. He's not just sleepless, he's steadfast. The verses five and six says, you see, he's steadfast. Unlike the gods of the hills who you had to go up onto their shrines to get their attention and get them to bless you, the psalmist says in verse five, the Lord is what? Your shade on your right hand. Everyone look at your right hand. Where is it? It is attached to you. It is, it is part of you. You can't get away from it. Like, you can, but that's not a good decision, right? The psalmist is saying, where is your hand? The, the God who is your keeper is not on some hill to be found. He is, he is right here present to you, as close as your right hand. Always faithful, always present to you. And unlike the gods of the hills who are believed to be unavailable at night, they would go back into the underworld, you know, with the sun. The the keeper in verse six says what? The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Night and day, your God is present with you. You wanna spiritualize this in the good times and the bad. He is vigilant and steadfast and faithful with you. But now the steadfast presence and the keeping of God, hearing all this seems too good to be true because so often we fear that God is maybe not like Dagon up on the hill, but like them. The them, the the spouse that cheated, the friend that bailed when we needed the most, the parent that abandoned or disconnected. Maybe it was some pastor, maybe it was some some mentor, some friend, some maybe it's your own self that you think God's like you. 
as fickle and broken and mean-hearted and selfish as you. See, we have this filter that becomes our way of seeing God where we view God through the lens of the them that failed, the them that bailed, the them that left. We begin to think that God's like them. Sure, he's nice, but when it comes down to the wire, at the end of the day, I'm on my own. And man, though it does take work and care and pastoral counseling and ther- to remove this filter through the work of the Spirit, throughout the Scriptures we hear that regardless of, of whether or not our filter is fitted on or not, the truth of the matter is that nothing could be further from the truth. Psalm 139 says, Where shall I go from your Spirit, from God, your presence? Where shall I flee from your presence? Where, uh, if, I, if I ascend into heaven, if I get in a rocket and I shoot up into the sky, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, if I die, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, if I get on a red-eye flight and I fly to the other most parts of the sea, I'm out on a boat in a dinghy in the middle of the ocean, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light will be like night. Even the darkness is not, if I get in the deepest, darkest cave, the night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. The psalmist says, God, you've got night vision. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they're more than the sand on the beach. I awake and here I am. You're still with me. The Lord is our steadfast keeper. As as Jackie Hill Perry, an author, recording artist, she commentating on Psalm 139 says, nobody can realistically run from God. They can only deceive themselves into believing he can't catch them or as we might put it, that he can't keep them. Wherever this year takes you, whatever you're going to go through, whatever you're going through right now, right here, where's your right hand? He's present with you. And then finally, in verses seven through eight, he's our sovereign keeper. You see, though the gods of the hills may offer their help, in the ancient world, there was always a power struggle between them. And so you always had to play the field, making sure that you were working the hierarchy of getting the right gods on your side at the right time when you needed them because some were stronger and some were weaker. We still do this even with our little gods of the hills. That like, yeah, I want to go to Hulu for the boredom, but I also like need to feed myself and my career. So I have to do some kind of balance game of like appeasing the gods of boredom and the gods of career, but I also have a family. And so I have, right? So we play the game of how do we work the hierarchy. But in the ancient world, on top of all of the powers were the powers associated with evil, death, and time. You could go to Marduk, you could go to Baal, you could go to Asherah, as helpful as they could be at the end of the day, evil, death, and time, they just couldn't help you. Maybe a little bit, but at the end of the day, they were underneath those deities. The gods simply didn't have the power to keep everyone all of the time. In Psalm 121, he laughs. And he points to the sovereign God. Sovereign is a loaded word, I know, just for the sake of this. God is a king who does as he pleases. And what this means is what, because he, when he issues his decree and his blessing, his purpose and plan for his people, even evil death and time must contort and bend and break themselves into the direction of the good of God's people. So they may exist, they may still make their way towards it, but at the end of the day, God is working the eternal night shift of bending and manipulating and shaping even the worst things to us for our eternal and eventual good. That evil may still attack, the evil one may still tempt, that bad and misfortune can come, but they cannot steal us from our keeper, the God of rescue. That death may claim, but it can only borrow you know, if I make my bed in the grave, even that you 
Even there you are with me, Psalm 139 said. That even the grave cannot steal us from our, our keeper, the God of, of, of resurrection. And the psalmist says, from this time forth, right now, to forevermore, 5,000 years from now, even in all of that, you are with me. Time, you know, at the end of the day, does, can't throw anything at God's plans for you. That your keeper, my keeper, our keeper is working the eternal night shift for his purpose, which is, number six says, your blessing, the fullness of life in the presence of God. Eugene Peterson again. He says, the promise of Psalm 121 is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. I love this. All the water in all the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside, nor can all the trouble in all the world harm us unless it gets within us. And that is the promise of the psalm. God guards you from every evil. Not the demon in the loose stone, not the fierce attack of the sun god, not the malign influence of the moon goddess, not any of these can separate you from God's call and purpose, which is, number six, your blessing, our blessing. From the time of your repentance in the wilderness to the time of your glorification in the presence of God, you are safe. None of the things that happen to you, none of the troubles you encounter have any power to get between you and God, to dilute his grace in you and divert his will from you. I need that quote like tattooed upside down on my chest to see that every single morning. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This language is not that everything that happens to you is good. In the end, they're being bent. In the end, they work together for that good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, from being kept, use that language, in the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or pandemic or nakedness or danger or sword, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come. Do you notice the evil, death, time stuff? Paul's totally doing Psalm 121 and number six in Romans 8. He's bringing it all together nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us, and Psalm 139, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here you are, Romans 8, Psalm 121, Psalm 139, uh, Numbers 6, all of this blessing, all about the keeping of God. And all are inviting you to set your eyes on your helper, on your keeper, on your sleepless, steadfast, sovereign keeper the one who is working the eternal night shift for your good. He is committed to that blessing, that calling of your life in the fullness of life in the presence of God. And so we'll end just where the psalm began. From where does your help come from? Which of the gods of the hills, past or present, are able to offer you anything like this? Not just the God who's the creator over heaven and earth and able to actually provide what you're longing and looking for, but the God who begins the relationship, not by asking for your sacrifice, but by giving himself for you. See, the blessed life, what we're looking at over these coming weeks, is the journey of faith in Jesus, of discovering the constant and countless ways the help of our sleepless, steadfast, our sovereign keeper is with us and keeping us.
And this does not mean that we won't go through trials and troubles. God is not a helicopter parent keeping you from every single little thing. But he is a God who is working in the midst of all that we go through, twisting and turning and taking even the most darkest and broken and evil things. And he says, because I am sovereign, because I'm steadfast, because I'm sleepless, not even this will be able to divert my purposes of blessing for you. And so the priestly blessing of Numbers chapter six is the proclamation and reminder at the start of every week and and here at the beginning of each year as we move into it, no matter what comes in the week or the year or the rest of the day ahead, the Lord is my keeper. What shall separate me from the love of God in Christ? Let's pray.